From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. I'm not a very good negotiator. When someone makes me an offer, I tend to accept it without qualification or politely decline. I lack whatever personality traits are required for deal-making, for saying, yes, I want this, but first I want you to modify these four things before we sign anything. Maybe I'm naive or simply lazy, but I don't enjoy the back and forth that gives some people such a thrill in the enterprise of negotiation. Now, Abraham, there was a good negotiator, poised, bold without being aggressive, tenacious on behalf of his clients. Now, even though he was not an attorney, such as we define that role today, I can easily see Paul Newman or Denzel Washington playing him in a blockbuster legal thriller, Sodom and Gomorrah, Judgment Day. Who are his clients? The citizens of these towns that became synonymous with sin. Think Las Vegas without all the good restaurants or Elvis impersonators. And the judge of this court in which Abraham defends them, the Lord. You have to admire the confidence of someone negotiating with God. Now, Abraham is hardly alone in the Bible in this respect. The entire book of Job is filled with such negotiations, and Moses and Yahweh negotiate so often that it's hard to say who holds the power in that relationship. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup. Don't let me be crucified. The Bible is basically a compilation of stories about people running up hills to make deals with God. What is striking about Abraham's advocacy is that it lacks self-interest. He isn't trying to improve his own life or even to promote his own family or community. He is trying to preserve a place that he has no profound or passionate connection with. It is perhaps this largeness of soul, this altruism that instigates God's interest in and commitment to Abraham in the first place. In the verses that immediately precede the passage we heard today, God is debating whether or not to inform Abraham of the plans they have 
to investigate the injustices of Sodom and Gomorrah, and if necessary, take drastic measures against the towns. In other words, God is so invested in and enamored of Abraham that they want to share their thoughts and intentions with him. We often speak of the ways that we keep things from God, but in this chapter of Genesis, God is anxious about whether or not to keep something from Abraham. God is being secretive. Now, before we go any further, I want to address the flashpoints of this text. No doubt, when you hear Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned, it brings up associations with sexual behavior and more than likely toxic Christian takes on sexuality. The name of one of these towns evolved over time to be associated with anything other than the most conventional and conservative heteronormative activity. I want to keep this PG, so I'm just going to say it does not matter to God what form your love for other humans takes so long as your love is that, an expression of tenderness, desire, care, mutual and consensual pleasure. Actually, I should say it does matter to God because God makes our attractions to particular people. And therefore, our queerness or our straightness or however we want to language our affections are measures of God's grace and provision. But preachers and congregations throughout history have used texts like this chapter from Genesis to stigmatize, marginalize, and ostracize queer people of faith. And what I find both interesting and upsetting about these takes is their ignorance of the scriptures themselves. This story ultimately has very little to do with sexual politics and ethics. It is primarily about justice and the nature of God. God has been hearing cries of injustice, not debauchery, not unusual romantic arrangements, injustice. What are examples of injustice? Discrimination, manipulation, greed and profiteering, violence, unfair treatment of the land, of animals, of fellow human beings. So God has heard that injustices such as these have become rampant, just as God perhaps hears when laws make it difficult for certain people to qualify for home loans or obtain health care or apply for jobs without prejudice or make decisions for their life partners or choose when and how to bring new life into the world. And God wants to do something about this. I get a sense in this story from Genesis that God was a bit like a flustered chef who has grown weary from trying to make everything just so for her diners and rather than fine-tuning wants to throw away all the food in the refrigerator. This is where Abraham comes in. Abraham is God's counselor and confidant. It's not like you to do this, Abraham says. Again, 
Behold the boldness, telling God what God is or is not like. But Abraham knows from experience, God is patient, God is just. Above all, God is merciful. So Abraham pleads the case of these cities and citizens. If even 50 not terrible people live there, can you let them be? And God agrees. If 50 not terrible people live in Sodom and Gomorrah, he will spare the whole region. This bolsters Abraham's confidence until he negotiates to the point where essentially, if there is one not terrible person living in this metroplex, God will show mercy to all. I know some of us struggle with the concept of substitutionary atonement, but essentially it comes down to this. God's nature is so saturated with mercy that the slightest presence of good in the world, be it ordinary residents of corrupt towns or the person of Jesus Christ, makes God eager to forgive a multitude of sins. God so fervently desires intimacy with us that no amount of shame or guilt can barricade us. God will get through to us and we will get through to God. Ask and you will receive, Jesus says. Seek and you will find. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Does this sound like a God looking for reasons to punish us? Does this sound like a God who wants for anything other than our joy, devotion, and fulfillment? I wonder what you are seeking today, what you might want to receive from God. As we look back at the story from Genesis, perhaps you have been crying out about injustices to God, and you need to know that God hears your cries and longs for a more just world. Maybe you are like Abraham and want to advocate for people who are vulnerable or endangered. Perhaps you feel like you have done something wrong and you want the assurance of mercy. Whether you identify with someone or no one in this story, God is invested in your story. God listens for our cries, our yearnings, our songs of praise and sorrow. Hearing and making such music is one way for us to lead a life with Jesus Christ at the center, where love and restoration are eminent and infinite.
can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.